when our finances are flourishing, then we can make our money work for us. We can you know, really invest in all areas of our lives and not be hindered. You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Welcome back to another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and joining me today is Dr. Nicole Huff. Nicole is an assistant professor in the Department of Family Sciences, Consumer Economics, and Financial Counseling degree program, and an extension specialist for family finance and resource management with the UK Cooperative Extension Service. She earned a PhD in family sciences from the University of Kentucky and a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from East Carolina University. And she's also a certified family life educator with the National Council on Family Relations. Today, we're talking about financial well-being, what it is, how you can improve or maintain healthy financial habits, and how it ties into our overall well-being. Thank you for joining me, Nicole. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Happy to be here. So tell the listeners a little more about yourself as a person, as well as the work that you do. Uh, Sure. Well, um, as a person, I am a wife and a mom of three. Uh, So I have three little ones at home and have been navigating pandemic life like the rest of the parents out there. And, um, you know, as a professional, I joined the University of Kentucky faculty in July. So we moved here mid-pandemic, and uh, it has been um, a whirlwind for sure, but uh, I'm excited to be back in Kentucky and um, excited to be a part of the university. So what's one way you've been taking care of yourself during the pandemic, especially after what is probably a stressful move? Yeah, well, I think just looking to the bright side, so trying to make the most of it. And that's what I tell my kids all the time that, you know, we can get through anything for a little while. And so we have just been trying to have fun when we can. So lots of family game nights, movie nights, um, exploring outdoors when the weather is nice, and just, um, you know, taking advantage of the slow pace, because I know it will get back to the rat race um, sooner rather than later. And so we've been trying to just take it in stride, knowing that it'll, it'll only be here a short season. Yeah, it's kind of like that growth mindset where you take the opportunities out of some of the challenges that you may be facing as well. So finding, like you said, it taking the bright side for things like that when some things are not in your control. Absolutely. So before we dive into our topic, can you talk a little bit about the impact that Cooperative Extension has on communities across Kentucky? Um, Sure. So with um, Kentucky Cooperative Extension, I serve as an extension specialist for family finance and resource management. And that is just one small focus area um, for Cooperative Extension. And so Cooperative Extension has a trifold mission, education, research, and outreach. And what I love most about Cooperative Extension is that we are in all 120 counties in Kentucky. And so we are able to provide 
provide both direct and personalized uh, resources to county residents. And so we have state specialists like myself, but we also have county agents who are on the ground to just help Kentucky families across the state. And um, specifically, though, with Family and Consumer Sciences Extension, you know, we really try to educate and equip and build strong families in, you know, family finance is one area for sure, but also health and nutrition, housing, child and youth development, parenting, aging. Um, the list is very comprehensive. Yeah, it's a ton. Um, I, that's why I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about the broad scope that cooperative extension has across the university and employees in all 120 counties is really impressive to me. Every time I hear that stat, it's like, wow, it's so crazy to think about the university having such a broad reach on the entire state like that. Um, and so it's it's cool um, in one way. And then it, it probably brings us challenges as well as far as like building a community within the university to have somebody in far western Kentucky or say like Harlan County or somewhere like that. Um, can be really difficult, but it also shows the impact that we can have within our broader community within the state. And and that's always really powerful to me. And I know Cooperative Extension does a lot of great work um, all over the state. It really does. And, you know, our footprint is expansive and um, and that has been a unique um benefit of this pandemic is that because we have been forced to change the way we deliver programming, we have been able to reach counties that, you know, I wouldn't have, for example, in my first six months here if I were just traveling across the state. But that has been one of those um, positive things that have come from the pandemic is allowing us to reach counties and to network in different and new ways. And so I agree, big footprint challenges, but also great opportunities to connect connect and really personalize education throughout Kentucky. Yeah. And on a personal note from health and wellness, that's an opportunity that came for us too with the pandemic was to be able to reach more of our employees in those 120 counties, not just the single one that we're located in or maybe the surrounding few counties around Fayette County. Um, so that's been exciting and something that we've tried to really grow from over the last year. Yes, Absolutely. So April is Financial Literacy Month, and it's also sort of a wind up to tax season. So I figured it'd be a great time to bring in financial well-being into the conversation. So let's start by generally defining both financial literacy and financial well-being. So how would you define those two terms? Yes, yeah, so their their financial literacy is easy to talk or easier to talk about than taxes. That's for sure. Um, well, financial literacy is at its heart having the foundational knowledge, skills, and habits that promote lifelong financial health. And so it is not a one and done. And that's really what um, financial health and well-being is. It's that practice of strong and sustainable financial principles, um, things like spending wisely and developing a budget and avoiding debt and saving for the future. But those habits and principles that um, contribute to financial health. Those habits that you mentioned there, we'll dive into those a little bit in the conversation as well. Um, so how, what does it mean to be financially healthy then? Because you've kind of talked about sort of what these two terms are, but where where do we define financially healthy? Like, how do I pick that out for myself? Right. Well, there is no one size fits all definition for being financially healthy, um, but to apply it to yourself 
personally, um, you know, think of it as as being physically healthy. It requires discipline. So, you know, oftentimes if we think of um, being fit and healthy, you know, it just doesn't come naturally, you know, especially as you age, you have to work at it. You know, you have to choose fruits and vegetables over junk food. You have to choose water over soda. Um, You have to commit to sleeping well and exercising regularly. And the same principles of discipline hold true with our finances. To be financially healthy, you have to commit to implementing those financial practices that will produce long-term positive results. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that was kind of where I was leading with my next question would be to connect financial well-being to the other sections because we often find that financial well-being is one of the dimensions of well-being that are left off maybe, um, or that was kind of a late ad, um, just depending upon Mm -hmm. the model that you look at, or maybe the place that you work, they may or may not recognize financial well-being as one of those dimensions of well-being. Here in HR, we do. um, So that's why I want to talk about it. And I also want to tie that into that bigger conversation on our well-being. So how do you see financial well-being connecting to the other dimensions? You already kind of touched on that a little bit with mm-hmm. um, examples of like physical health and aging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just when, like I was mentioning how comprehensive family and consumer sciences extension is, you know, the same is true with our health. And and I know that, you know, being in wellness, you, you would agree with this, that, you know, we are at our most healthy when the different parts of our life are um, performing optimally. And, you know, I see financial being very much so um, connected to our overall well-being. As you mentioned, I have a background as a family therapist, and um, so I see my role as a financial educator. I see a lot of my research and outreach efforts, you know, situated at that intersection of mental and financial health, um, because research would most definitely support that there is a reciprocal interaction and affect between our financial health and our mental health. Because when our mental health struggles, our financial health struggles and and vice versa. And so I think to overlook such um, an intimate and integral part of our livelihood would be to leave a dimension off of our overall well-being. And so, you know, you really have to consider the whole person and, and what makes up their livelihood so that you can focus on whole health. We often talk about emotion um, or talking about our mental and emotional health on the podcast, obviously related to resilience. So um, I kind of was trying to think about a couple of examples of how I would think about connecting financial well-being to that broader picture. And I kind of actually came up with a couple of examples myself, Uh, one being kind of a good example of that and one being sort of more of a negative example um, so the good one was the ability to express compassion through things like financial donation and being able to feel connected to your community. So if you're able to give back like that, that ability to express that compassion does you some good and it does good for someone else as well. So it's good for sort of that social and emotional well-being for you. The um, the other one that I had, which was sort of the negative idea, was thinking about marriage and money. Because I know that is, mm. and you'll probably, you could probably expand mm-hmm. on this a little bit, but um, the idea of like the the argument over money um, and people having like financial counseling before you get married and those types of things. And um, I, I think I read that like one of the number one predictors for whether a marriage will last is if you're having money arguments early um, in your marriage or like right before it um, can be a, can be a strong indicator of a future divorce. 
Um, and I, I saw it's like ha roughly half of couples argue over money. And then about a third of divorces were due to financial disagreements. So right. uh, maybe talk about that a little bit since you have a background in both. Yeah, absolutely. So communication over money is um, is one of um, the top two things that couples fight about. And um, but uh, but money is um, again, it goes back to being at the heart of our livelihood. And when you know couples will invest a lot of money in a wedding, for example, maybe pre pandemic, the pandemic kind of shifted that. Um, but then don't invest into, you know, having those same shared goals and visions and about um, planning that future financially. And so it can lead to sometimes mismanagement of money. So if people have different attitudes or habits, spending habits, then um, you may have one saver and one spender or somebody that blows through finances or um, especially in terms of joint checking accounts and um, and then understanding the the complexities that come with spending and relationships and saving and developing shared goals and shared family visions. And um, and so when couples or individuals, when any family is faced with financial stress, you know, um, managing financial issues, it takes a lot of mental effort, um, and and that effort takes up a significant portion of our mental capacity. And you know, our um, brains need space to tackle a task. And so, when we are stressed about our finances, it can freeze some of the other areas of of our minds that would be focused towards relationship preservation or towards um, overall health and well-being. And it can really consume us because, again, livelihood is connected to our money. And and money is one of those things you have to have. You have to have it to survive and to thrive. Um, and so when we're financially stressed, it really limits our ability to think about other things. Um, and so research shows that when our mental health is low, we tend to spend more. And that's because that discipline that I mentioned, that kind of goes out the window. And, you know, a quick spending trip or an impulse buy, it can release endorphins that are very short-lived. And, um, and, and we can spend to feel better. Um, and so I do not recommend retail therapy, not at all. But poor mental health can lead to the inability to make money decisions, and it can increase the likelihood that people will put off managing financial task. And, um, and you know how, how it is. Things can quickly snowball or avalanche. And so one little problem can turn into a very big problem when we don't manage it. And that's why financial literacy and having those skills and those communication skills, if you're in a relationship, is very important to that overall long-term financial health. And I think something interesting that you talked about is basically the two-way street between something like financial well-being and relationships or uh, mental well-being or anything like that, where they, they affect each other each direction. So you could maybe be in a hard financial situation that is causing stress, which is obviously negatively affecting your physical health at that point. Um, or it could be the other way around uh, where you're stressed about something else and you're trying to maybe fill this void um, or to feel better, like you mentioned, and go on an impulse spending binge um, and that puts you into a financial situation that you may not want to be in or you may not have the means for. Um, and maybe you end up in uh, credit card debt or something like that, which is sort of snowballs from there. So the idea that these are connected um, 
it, it's kind of surprising to me that financial well-being is not often or is less often, I guess I should say, um, connected with the rest of them because they do really it really is a two-way street for them. It is. It is. And I think that even conversations like this, it begins to um, bring about awareness. And I think, again, talking about growth mindset from the pandemic, um, because we have talked so much about how families were impacted financially during the pandemic, I think that it has brought to the forefront this idea that it is that um that when we have financial stress, it affects it affects all areas of our life, and um, and then, like you said, not just uh, debt and incurring debt, but if you are stressed to the point in your in your life that you can't perform your job, you might be at risk of losing your job, which would contribute again to financial um, implications. And so, there's a lot of reciprocity there that it's important that we can equip ourselves with the the tools that we need to to be strong and to stand up um, in in terms of stress management in our finances. Yeah, obviously, this show is all about resilience and how we grow from the challenges we face. So we've kind of talked about them in two different ways to this point with problems that uh, you may have caused yourself potentially from maybe decision-making or habits that you've had, or maybe a lack of, of knowledge or a lack of skill or something like that. And then there's mm-hmm. this other side, which are the things that are out of your control. And mm-hmm. a lot of times that's where resilience kicks into play because we're going to face these things within our lives. And you mentioned the pandemic. And I think that's a prime example of a financial challenge that hit a lot of people that many people weren't expecting. Um, it's not something we ever would have guessed would have really happened to us. It really only happens, what, every hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that really challenged a lot of people, especially when people were getting laid off or furloughed or those types mm-hmm. of things. So how can financial literacy help us become more resilient Uh, particularly when we're facing those unexpected challenges, say like the pandemic or something else. Yeah. So if it's one thing that 2020 did teach us and the pandemic taught us, it is to expect the unexpected. And I do love what you said there that sometimes the situations and the financial situations that we find ourselves in, sometimes it's at our doing. Um, if it's debt or credit card debt or um, uh, mismanaging our finances, Um, or even if we lose a job at our expense. But then, like the pandemic, sometimes what happens to us is out of our control. And that's why, you know, developing um, strong financial literacy, a skill set is so important when to develop financial resilience. So whatever you know, where that locus of control lies. Um, What really matters with resiliency is what you do moving forward. And so whether it was in your control or out of your control, what do you do moving forward? And so in terms of financial resiliency, um, you know, to bounce back from those challenging financial situations, we really need to better understand how to manage our finances and resources. So we have to equip ourselves with those tools and those habits and those disciplines and that skill set because finances can be confusing. So when you're talking about um, interest rates and uh, stocks and all, all kinds of financial terms, um, it can f- make someone feel overwhelmed and it's easy to just tune it out. And so, you know, to de- begin developing financial resiliency, it is um, important to 
bring things into our control and realize that, hey, we can learn more about these things. It doesn't have to be confusing. Um, We can start small, we can start somewhere, and we can begin to build our financial toolkit in a way that um, when those unexpected things come, we're better equipped to handle them. And then we can also, um, the more knowledgeable, the more financially disciplined we become, the more likely we are to just avoid those pitfalls to begin with. Yeah, there was two things you mentioned in there, too, that I think were key points to connecting it to the bigger picture as well, which is the first one being learning from the past, essentially, um, in that the pandemic is something that we would not have expected. But now that we've been through it, we sort of know what has happened. There were plenty of opportunities for us to learn from that as well, Mm -hmm. so that moving forward, uh, we can focus on preparing for more things that are unexpected um, or that may that may come at a very inopportune time um, and, and the things that you you don't ever think would happen. Um, so it's not to, to go like doomsday prepper on your finances necessarily, <laughs> but but that, that I think that is resilience um, when you are faced with a challenge and maybe you made a bad decision. Um, learning from that mistake, though, is where that resilience really comes, uh, whether you you got through it unscathed or whether you learned something from the mistakes you made, either one of those are going to build on your resilience if you take the time to kind of reflect on those things. Absolutely. And um, with with regard to 2020, it's um, it has set itself up so well for puns and memes and things about hindsight being 2020 and learning from those mistakes. And, you know, I have used it as a teaching tool myself. So with regard to the financial challenges that the pandemic has placed. If you were a family that was negatively affected um, in terms of finances or resources, you know, what can you learn from that so that you're better prepared next time? So maybe it's building an emergency fund or maybe it's paying down debt so that you don't have so much money coming out compared to what you have coming in. Um, You know, maybe it's better using your resources or simple, because we talk a lot about finances, but family resources is important too. And so maybe it's better managing the resources that you have and how can you stretch those and simplify your life in a way that you can make do with what you have. And so there are lots of learning opportunities in terms of building resiliency by by looking towards the past. What lesson can you learn from it? How can you move on? How can you do things differently moving forward? Absolutely. Yeah, I think another key learning that I've found is sort of where you spend your money, what you value. Um, and I think 2020 was a really good example of that for for my wife and I um, and where, what we want to do with our money and and some like spending leaks or things that we would have mm-hmm. done when we could go do anything. Um, and we got stuck at home. We started to realize we enjoyed other things more. And so we mm-hmm. could shift those finances around or we have more money that we weren't spending on more frivolous things that we can devote to maybe house renovations or things like that, where we spend a lot of our time um, pre-pandemic or not. Um, so I think that that's a good a good lesson that I've taken personally out of this as well. The um, the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting as well is, is starting small. Um, so we've talked yes. about this. It, I talk about this in physical activity, particularly um, when I've done exercise consults in the past. And it, it's always a really difficult concept for people, especially when you're getting started with something new, because you you kind of have that fresh energy and you really want to go all in on it. But um, sometimes you bite off a little more than you can chew. 
um, if I can tie in a, a nutrition reference <laughs> there as well. Um, but but the starting small is really important in, in building those longer term habits as well. And I think that applies really well to your financial habits. It does. And I think that we can we can get lost in the big picture to the point that we don't move forward at all. And so, you know, if it is um, you mentioned spending leaks, which is one of my favorite terms ever, um, because it is oftentimes small drains on our account that if we're not careful over time can add up and then, you know, deplete, deplete our budgets. And and so, you know, it's looking for ways to make small changes. Maybe it's Brewing coffee at home versus driving through somewhere and paying five or six dollars a cup because that five or six dollars turns into fifteen or eighteen dollars a week, which turns into seven or eight hundred dollars for the year. And so the the choices that we make can add up quickly. And so you may not be ready to you know double your investment uh, for retirement but you you could probably cut back on a coffee. And so I think that the the smaller practices we can put into place, we can begin to capture that momentum so that you can save a little more or pay down a little a little bit of debt. That's why the debt snowball method is such a popular one in financial management practices because when we see small momentum, it makes us want to do more and it realizes more is in our control. And so sometimes just setting those small goals will help us um, develop stronger practices over time financially. To this point, we've been talking about the pandemic, which was something kind of really on one extreme of things. What are some other financial traps or setbacks that people more commonly face throughout their lives? Yeah, well, I think, and I'm, I'm trying not to tie it back to the pandemic, but um, not having an emergency fund, I think, is is one of the bigger things. And so, again, a pandemic is not something we're going to face, hopefully, not again in our lifetime. Uh, but you might have your car breakdown or an unexpected medical or household-related bill. Um, you know, you may lose your job um, or... Anything can happen. A child may need braces, which again, I joke that that's a expected, unexpected expense because it's easy to put off until that bill comes and that orthodontist visit comes. Um, but it is preparing for the financial situations that can be large and, and overwhelming. And so I think one of the biggest um the most common financial trap or setback that I see is really the inability to save. Now, another is is incurring debt. And so, you know, relying on spending money that you don't have. And that's essentially what credit is, is spending money that you don't have readily available. And it can quickly add up. And so when the unexpected financial situation hits, then Rather than focusing your financial energy on that, you've also got these uh, bills. You've got debt bills to pay. And so um, those are two, two, two of the bigger ones. And those are two areas of financial literacy that I often encourage people to start with. Um, budgeting, which we can talk about more in depth, but also saving and debt management. Yeah, that's actually where I want to go next um, is to talk about the strategies because we've now identified some maybe some common um, setbacks or common challenges that we may face. So how do we actually prepare for those or what do we do when we when we actually have those happen to us? So what are some of the foundational habits or skills that um, you think people can use to improve their financial health and resilience? 
Yes. So when developing or improving financial literacy, like I mentioned, I always suggest starting by assessing your current financial situation. And so begin with your monthly budget. And there are a couple of ways to do this. I suggest printing out a blank calendar and writing down what bills do I have that are due and when are they due and kind of getting that overall monthly look at what do I have that is due when and then keep track of what's due um, as well that might be a quarterly payment or an annual payment or that may not come around monthly or weekly. And then look at your income compared to your expenses, because ideally you really want to know where every penny of your money is going. And because most most adults have, have uttered that phrase, you know, where does my money go? It feels like it disappears. And so the, the first thing in developing that skill set, that financial skill set, is getting control of your monthly budget. And, you know, compare uh, your sources of income to your expenses, and begin to track those because we want our income to exceed our expenses. And that's when we it creates opportunities to save or invest or pay down debt or to splurge because we want to have do fun things like home renovations or take vacations. Yeah. We really want to take vacations after this year. <laughs> and um, and so we can do that when our expenses are minimized. Because the flip side of that, when our expenses exceed our income, we generate debt. And that's what we want to avoid. And so that's when we have to look for ways to um, cut spending where we can, you know, with those spending leaks, those small purchases that can add up quickly and drain your budget. Um, And then look for other ways to maximize your resources and pay off outstanding debts. And then building that emergency fund if you haven't already. So those are the three steps that I I recommend. Assess your current financial situation, figure out where your money is going, adjust accordingly, pay down debt, and begin to save. Are there any like practices, like say you get your paycheck in, are there any things that you can do sort of um, as soon as that check comes in? what, What are some things that you can do at that moment to facilitate this as well? Yeah, I think um, with monthly pay, um, that is, it requires the most discipline for sure, because you're getting paid once a month. Um, And so if that is the case for you, I would suggest starting with that calendar, that blank calendar, figuring out what your set dates are in terms of um, when bills are due, and then figure out which ones you can work with companies to adjust so, so that you get your bigger bills coming out of your account right after payday. And so then you know what you're left with to divide between those other expenses, between groceries is a flexible expense. You have to eat, but you can control, you know, to some extent the cost of the food that you purchase or the amount of times you go out to eat or some of that spending or flex money. So I always suggest, especially with monthly, but anytime that you take control over your due dates and that you, um, and many companies will work with you. Um, lenders will often work with you to set due dates that work for your pay schedule. Most of the time, people just don't ask. The transition from being paid biweekly to being paid monthly was something that I had to learn. That was a skill I had to learn and moving all of my um, automatic bills to the first of the month or like the second or third of the month so that it came out at the beginning was really helpful for me. And something else I found that really worked for me as well was to pay myself first. Mm -hmm. So I set up some automatic deposits into an extra account as well. 
one that I'm not easily going to move money. So that becomes part of my like savings fund on top of like the sort of normal standard um, deduction for um, retirement or something like that. I have my like safety net, essentially. Um, I'm mm-hmm. sending that money. I have a, a, I know roughly how much each month that I'm going to have extra or I, that I want to devote to that. And I move that money over immediately as well. So that's out of the way. My bills are then out of the way. And then I know, hey, I have this amount of money left. Now it's kind of like the my fun fund. If I right. if there's something I want to do, I want to go get a massage. I want to go on a vacation. I want to do some house renovations or something like, well, small house renovations, probably not anything major, <laughs> but um, things like that, though, where uh, we're even thinking about the other dimensions of well-being. Say I want to maybe purchase a piece of equipment or I want to hire a personal trainer or or something like that, where there would be things that would also be investments in the other parts of my well-being. Um, I have more of an opportunity to do that, or at least I can see where where the opportunity lies, and then I can decide from there what's going to be most beneficial for me. Yeah, that's a great tip. To, to pay yourself first is such a smart financial practice because it, again, if that money sits in our account, we'll spend it on something. And so the more you can automate and that you can set money aside, the better. And I do like what you said about it is, it's important to our financial well-being and our, our mental well-being, excuse me, to have some fun money. Um, because, um, because we need to take vacations. We need to have family time. We need to maybe focus on our health and um, focus on our wellness and do things that we want to spend our money on. And, and if all of our money is going into, say, bill payment or debt management, or if you're in over your head in terms of a car payment or a house payment, you know, really kind of look and prioritize your life and say, you know, do I want to be house poor? For example, that's a phrase that we often hear. Do I want to um, to be in debt to my mortgage payment? Or maybe I want to um, to invest in adventure instead and, and spend, um, you know, rather than having a high mortgage payment, maybe I want to downsize a little bit so that I can free up some of my funds to do do things that really kind of enrich my life and make me happy. Um, you know, if it fits within your budget, you have so much freedom to do those things that really contribute to our overall health and happiness when we're not burdened by um, debt, for example. Are there any age-specific skills that work best at a certain time in your life? Well, I think that we're never too old or too young to start investing in our financial knowledge. And so I think with small children, so if you're a parent, you know, help your child develop financial literacy skills early. And so that might be just as simple as reviewing math concepts and learning numbers or place value or basic arithmetic skills. So when you go to the store, let them pay, um, help them count back change, learn the value of money or responsibility, um, let them earn money and then decide how to spend and save it. And so you can kind of help guide um, you know, children as they age if you're a parent. Um, but if you're an adult, you know, really think about the financial stage that you're about to enter into before you enter into it. For example, retirement's an easy one. If you want to retire, you can't wait until your retirement age to begin planning for it. It takes advanced planning. Uh, the same thing is true with with college education. If, if you want to um, save for, say, a child's college education, you need to start doing that before they enter college. If not, you're going to be faced with student loans, or they will. And so, you know, whether it is home ownership or... Um, 
buying a car or taking a vacation, but look at what is your financial goal? What is that goal? What are you working towards? And what steps do you need to take to get there? And so I would say plan in advance. And that's one of the best things you can do um, in terms of age-specific goals is don't let um, a life stage sneak up on you. Take some time to plan and be intentional so that you can enjoy each life stage as it comes. Yeah, I think that that sort of wisdom that comes along with aging is helpful as well. When you when you retirement is getting closer, you start to think about that a little bit more. So I think about those who are maybe now entering the workforce or have only been in it maybe a few years. What advice would you have for them that have, say, you know, 20 plus years still before retirement? Um, so it feels like very far away so that it's not something that they're going to maybe want to focus on right now because it's it's not it's not even remotely immediate to them it's so easy especially when other things fight for your money when when you would rather have that money in your account than be putting it down till retirement because it does seem so far away but my biggest advice is don't wait. Begin investing. Invest small. Um, if you are working somewhere like the university um, who does an employee match or as that as as much as your finances allow, contribute what will be matched. Um, do what you can and then don't touch that money. <laughs> uh, don't touch that money. Don't do early withdrawals if you can help it. And really um, don't put off because we have just completed a retirement book club through uh, through Cooperative Extension in the month of February. And, and time and time again, I would hear from older adults that they are at retirement age and didn't, they were surprised at how fast it came and they're not financially prepared and they're ready to move on to that next step and aren't financially prepared. And so time passes by quickly. And so as much as you're able and as early as you're able, uh, invest in your future. So what kind of questions would you ask the listeners to get them thinking about their financial situation um, or financial literacy or kind of their overall financial well-being? What sort of prompts would you give them to start thinking about their personal situation and the steps that they could take? I think I would ask listeners to, first of all, ask yourself, do you know where your money is going each month? I would ask um listeners to make a list of their spending leaks and where where is money kind of dripping out of out of your your bank account those intentional purchases would you rather have $700 at the end of the year or three coffees a week um, from, from a, a specialty coffee shop and to begin kind of prioritizing your spending habits I would challenge listeners to track their spending habits for at least a month. Those little purchases, and especially as life normalizes a little more and you're out and about, um, you know, are you getting lunch to go? Are you picking out takeout? How often um, are you putting things in your grocery cart that aren't planned? I'm really honing in on those spending leaks because I think that people are often surprised by them. I would also ask listeners where are you on your journey to retirement? If you were to continue saving what you're saving today, um, where would you be in 20 years, in 40 years, in five years? And so if you're not saving anything, you're not going to be very far. And so to really begin to assess your current situation and to ask yourself, okay, where do I want to go? And then to pick something fun, and I'll, I'll kind of end on that, 
pick something fun to save for. So maybe it's a vacation um, when travel opens back up. Maybe it is a piece of exercise equipment that you've been wanting. But set one kind of financial goal to save towards. And so that way, when you're tempted to make one of those splurge or impulse or leak purchases, that you say, you know, instead, I'm going to invest it in this bigger goal. And I think when we have something that we're working towards that is fun, that is a reward, it's much easier to exercise financial discipline on the small things. Yeah. And I think the waiting for that purchase as well gives you enough time to decide if that is truly an impulse purchase or not. You may get a couple months into saving for something like that and realize, oh, I really don't want this rowing machine or will I actually ever (laughs) use it? Or should I purchase this Peloton? I don't know. (laughs) It seems to work for everyone else. But if if I have time to think about it, Um, I I may decide, oh, I don't actually want this. This is probably a better fit for me or something like that. So I think it gives you a little bit of time to think as well when when you practice something like that. Right. And when we delay gratification on purchases, it gives us time to research, to look for good deals, to 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 see, um, you know, what has better quality, to, to know what we're investing in, or if it's travel, to price compare and really shop around. And so when we plan our purchases, we often get better quality experiences and items, too. So to take this back out into sort of the bigger picture again, what are some of the financial literacy lessons that we could apply to other dimensions of our well-being? Yeah, absolutely. We have talked about discipline before, and research really supports that when we are disciplined in our our health, for example, we're disciplined in our finances and vice versa. And so I think that reining in our spending habits, if we haven't already, can just help us grow our discipline in other areas of our life. We've already talked about how um, when we're not stressed financially, it can lessen some of the burdens. That's one less thing we have to be stressed about in terms of another aspect of our um, overall well-being. And so learn and grow and figure out how to increase your knowledge and increase your discipline. Where do you need to cut back on in one area so that you can excel in another? And those are especially true in our finances because finances are finite. You know, each individual and each family, you only have a certain amount of money. Um, and and so when that's gone, um, families can really struggle and it does affect your livelihood. I, it's a word I've used a lot, but it's important. Um, but on the flip side, when our finances are flourishing, then we can make our money work for us. We can you know, really invest in all areas of our lives and not be hindered um, you know, by that that lack. And that's why I, I see financial literacy as as a toolkit. You know, it helps us build and rebuild. And when we have the tools in our toolkit that will help set us up on a trajectory for success, then when we get knocked down, we can rebuild more quickly or um, we can just build great things from the beginning if we invest in our financial knowledge. So listening to a podcast on money, that's one way um, <laughs> to start. But, you know, really investing in um, in growing your financial literacy skills. But I think you'll see then trickle trickle effects in other areas of your life. Yeah, you've used the term investment a few times in that answer. And that's how I think about it. That's how I think about something like self-care, which is brought up pretty commonly on this show. The time that you need for yourself, um, whether that's five minutes, whether that's 10 minutes, those little chunks of time, especially when we're, we feel too overwhelmed, those are a, 
an investment. So that five or 10 minutes is going mm -hmm. to buy you some more time. And the more that you continue to do practices like that, you're going to accumulate wealth. And in this case, that's a little bit of that resilience um, or it's that mm -hmm. buffer that you're giving yourself so that when a stressor does arise, maybe it doesn't feel like it's hitting you as hard as it otherwise would have. Um, so I, I talk about that pretty commonly um, in financial terms for people because um, we, we know we need self-care is not just about yourself. Um, it's about others as well. Absolutely. So for those interested in learning more, um, what are some of the books, podcasts, websites, or other self-guided resources on this topic that you'd recommend that may add more value to listeners' lives? Yeah, well, I mentioned the uh, retirement book club that we just finished. And so that's by an, uh, an author called Dr. Barbara O'Neill. Um, she's a distinguished professor emeritus uh, from Rutgers University. She has spent her career 40 plus years in uh, personal finance. And so she authored a book. It's called Flipping a Switch, Your Guide to Happiness and Financial Security in Later Life. And what I love about that book is it looks at retirement planning in terms of financial transitions, social transitions, and lifestyle transitions. So it's, again, it's more of that comprehensive look. It's not just looking at it from a financial or investment side that is heavily covered, but also what are some other things that you need to consider as you plan? And so whether you want to retire now or down the road, that's a book I recommend. She also does, um, she has a website called Money Talk, and I will leave the link for that in the show notes. But um, she is uh, does podcasts and blogs and is just another money money pun, but she is a wealth of information <laughs> on personal finances. And again, she has an extension background. And so with that, I trust um, the integrity of her work, and, uh, and that, that means a lot. Uh, something else I, I would recommend is the Kentucky Saves Initiative. That's an external partner. Um, it's part of the America Saves campaign, um, and you can link to that. Again, I'll leave that link with you, Jacob, in the show notes. But it is information on debt management and on um, investing and saving and how to really begin to be a saver. Um, you can take a Kentucky Saves pledge, and, and it's just whatever your goal is, large or small, but it's an accountability system. Um, it is a free tool that we partner with, and that's at Kentucky Saves. Um, and then this is a, a resource that it's also, um, you know, I'm not sure if you have plugged it before, but for UK employees listening, um, the Enrich Financial Wellness and Management Program, and that's available at uk.enrich.org. That is a free resource for employees that um, if you're not familiar with, I would highly suggest it because it has... Um, courses to learn more about financial literacy. Uh, it is free. It has budget management tools, saving tools, all types of just different tools. If you want to learn more about the house buying process or mortgages, or you need some of those terms decoded for you, it's just a really good repository of information and tools. And again, it's free. It's through university because um, that's one thing that UK cares about, the financial health of its employees. And I can say that because I see it invest in, in um, financial practices. And so that's a uh, an external internal resource, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought Enrich up because that comes through HR. So um, yes. <laughs> yeah, another key point to, to bring out of that, um, one of the new features of Enrich also includes access to financial experts. So you can talk to them on the phone or video chat, that type of thing. 
Um, and so you can request consults with them um, or you can just call the number directly during their open hours and they'll get you matched up with someone um, on top of all the, the online module-based learnings that they have. Um, but I think another cool feature of that is it gives you a money personality. So you take essentially like a quiz um, yes. about about your spending habits and those types of things in your financial situation. And it gives you a money personality. And that really gives you a, a good look at how you're spending and, and what your financial situation is. Yeah, I, I think it's a great tool. And that's something we often do with an extension is we we help people assess their, um, we call it money habitudes, but their habits and attitudes towards money so that they become more aware of their spending habits. And so I love that Enrich does as well. And again, it's a good free tool that's at your fingertips. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it as you're building your financial toolkit and you're strengthening your literacy skills. So you mentioned the book club and you mentioned the habitudes there. What are some other programs or resources offered through Family and Consumer Science Extension that you will have? Yeah, well, to learn about programs like that, I would really suggest following our Money Wise initiative. And so you can find us on facebook.com forward slash Money Wise. Um, we also have a website that I can link listeners to, but we put out we put out monthly newsletters, and so these are put out across the state. Um, so they go to all 120 counties. They are free, and then we put everything gets uh, fed through our, our um, Facebook page, too. And that's where we will oftentimes showcase programs that we're doing, like that we just did a book club, and we did it with Dr. O'Neill. She joined us for three weeks for a book club on that retirement planning um, we are currently in the middle of an estate planning webinar series um, where we have resources that the University of Kentucky has put out. And we're also linking extension resources, but we're linking with industry professionals as well. So you'll learn about that through our Money Wise initiative. And that's a financial wellness initiative um, that I lead and I have a, a team who puts out resources. And so I would suggest following us there. Um, and then this April and May, um, and if you're listening after the fact, this stuff is is archived and recorded, so you can still take advantage of these resources. But we're about to begin a series um, called Living with Loss, Playing the Hand You Are Dealt. And so we're going to be taking um, a look through, and this is all of Family and Consumer Sciences Extension, so all of those different areas that I mentioned earlier. But we're going to be looking more at resiliency. And so if you are listening to this, you probably have an interest in resiliency. And so I would encourage you to follow Family and Consumer Sciences Extension and to take part in that. It's a six-week series. We'll have webinars, print material, podcasts that'll come out through FCS Extension. And one week we'll be talking about um, financial resiliency. And so I'll go into more depth about that um, and just other elements of grief and coping. And so that's just one example of the programming we do. And so if you're not connected with Cooperative Extension, I would encourage you follow MoneyWise, um, follow FCS Extension, and um, just take advantage of the free um, resources and learning opportunities that we provide, you know, just focused on all areas of health and well-being, including financial literacy. Yeah, that six-week program sounds like a really good opportunity to dive deeper onto this topic because we can only talk about so much in roughly an hour. Right. So that's a great <laughs> chance to spread that out over six weeks and really see the big picture again. So I highly recommend people checking that out. And I'll plug the Family and Consumer Science podcast, Talking Facts as well. I'll stick that link in the show notes because I know you talk about this topic yes. on there every once in a while too. Yes, absolutely. 
All right, so one fun question for you. My last guest and I created a resilience playlist on Spotify that I'll share again in the show notes. Um, so I want to keep that playlist going. So what are one or two songs that you can relate to um, or that you use for your own resilience? This is such a fun question, Jacob. Um, you know, currently on repeat for me is um, is Looking Up by Bare Naked Ladies. Um, and that is just a favorite college band of mine. So that is going to date me a little bit. But it is, uh, when I say it is on repeat, it is really on repeat while I work. Um, it, it just has a fun beat. And I love the overall message of the song. My favorite line in the song, it says, uh, you go and worry about things you can't control. I'm going to see the donut. You can see the hole. And uh, and I love that because, you know, we can focus on the hole in the donut or we can focus on the donut. And, um, and so this song is just a fun, upbeat reminder for me to focus on the positive things in the situation and, you know, not to see those holes. So I'm going to choose to look up. That's perfect. I'll add that to the playlist. And we've gotten some suggestions as well from some of our listeners. So if you want to contribute to that uh, playlist, feel free to reach out to us at healthandwellness at uky.edu. And maybe I'll add your song on there as well. So finally, wrapping it all up, what's your take home message from this conversation? Kind of boil down into maybe one or two sentences. So I just wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on this topic. And, you know, I think that finances is like most everything in life. It is about the perspective that we take. When we are intentional with our finances, you know, we can be mindful of our spending habits and our practices, and and, I, and we can take a little bit of control over our future. So I would just um, like to say, you know, I would encourage you to seek opportunities to grow and to expand your knowledge of finances and to know that financial literacy and financial health, they aren't in destination. So it's more of lifelong practices that strengthen with effort and time and, and intentionality, which is my word for 2021. Um, so it does, it pays to invest in your financial future. That's perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your knowledge with me on financial well-being. Thank you so much for having me. That'll do it for another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. After listening to this episode, I hope you were able to identify some skills or tools you can use to improve your financial literacy, and that you also learned how your financial habits can impact your overall well-being. As always, you can find links in the show notes to anything we mentioned throughout the show. Normally, this is also where I would preview some upcoming programming from HR Health and Wellness and some of our well-being partners, but I'm going to keep it short for now. Shortly after this episode drops, I'll be releasing a special preview episode for our upcoming Employee Wellbeing Week happening May 3rd through May 7th. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to Becoming Wildly Resilient wherever you consume your podcast so that you don't miss the special preview episode or any future episodes. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. If you enjoyed this episode, You can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email healthandwellness at uky.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash hr slash well-being. Live well.